The theme of camp this week is superheroes. Sometimes you'll think of a hero being a person that maybe jumps into a building and saves someone from a roaring blaze. You might picture the soldier out there on the field carrying people back that have been injured. But you probably wouldn't be able to define a hero like that all the time. Sometimes a hero can be found in places that you wouldn't even think of. Doing a normal job, and yet the end results could be just, well, phenomenal. But that person alone, you wouldn't call him a hero. You might not call Uncle Paul a hero, but he's not in here, so I can say that. But I I feel like Uncle Paul is. Why? Because he's faithfully doing a job year after year. He's been here for decades. Uh, Brother Dave, I'll brag on him. Dave looks for opportunities to carry Jesus wherever he goes. So if he stops people riding on a bicycle, or if they're just casually talking, he would probably look for an opportunity. He would be the kind to go into Cracker Barrel and a waitress set down a, a meal, and he'd say, is your day going pretty well? And it's almost like he could see probably a tear in her eyes, like, well, you know, could I just pray with you before your day goes any further than this? That right there may change someone's life. So you think heroes are everyday people? I think so. We call it superheroes this week, and I just don't want you to go back home and say, well, I'll never be one of those. I'll never be a David that kills a giant. I'll never be a Moses that leads over a couple million people. I just can't do that. I could probably show you that a hero is not all, always what you picture him to be or her to be. I can bring it down to our level and say, you know what, I can do that. So consistently being faithfully serving Jesus. But I'll start off with this. Anybody ever seen uh, Andy Griffith before? The guy that plays Barney is called Don Knotts. Uh, Don Knotts also played in the a movie he's been in, uh, The Ghost and Mr. Chicken. I believe that was a movie that, uh, and so they sort of ask him to define a hero. Let's see if you uh, understand his definition of a hero. Thank you, Mayor and fellow Rachelanians. That that electrician must be a Democrat. (laughs) Uh, Thank you, uh, Mayor and fellow Rachelanians. I am proud to be here today. Attaboy, Luther! (laughs) Uh, When I was asked to be guest speaker at this luncheon, I asked myself this. Who are you, Luther Hayes, to be a guest speaker at this luncheon? I thought about my answer about being guest speaker for a long time. What is a guest speaker? Let me clarify this. I have been called brave. What is brave? Let me clarify this. Of course, we all know that it is short for bravery. That goes without even being said. But it is also a symbol of another thing. It is a symbol of doing one's duty, no matter what is scaring him personally. Attaboy, Luther! (laughs) Take your World War II. There were many heroes in World War II. What were your heroes? Who were your heroes? Let me clarify this. Thank you for having me. Did he really say anything during that whole speech? No. No. You called it about one line, but the point of it is, you say, well, that wouldn't exactly be a hero. I don't know. I'm inclined to think, did you catch that one good line? Dave, did you catch that one good line? A hero is anyone that faces his fears and goes on through that. What was his fear? Could you tell? Speaking in front of people, yeah, I mean, he's, he's only got his notes. He's sitting there shaking so bad. There goes his notes out, and it's like, whew. Anybody ever give an oral book report in, in English like that? 
Yeah, see, that wouldn't bother me. I do it for a living. I'm 30 years. But if, but if you say, I cannot stand up in front of people, and you stand up and you read your oral book report, I saw this little girl, bless her heart, one time she's in about the seventh grade. She stood up in front of a chapel service. I used to teach at a Christian school for about ten years, Roanoke Valley Christian Schools. And this little girl was probably in about the seventh grade. And we had seventh graders to twelfth graders. They later decided to split that in two and let only junior high, your age, seventh, eighth, you know, sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, that would be in the chapel from now on. Or even seventh and eighth grade, I believe it was. But... The high school was totally different. That's 9th through the 12th. Well, back then, though, they crammed everybody in the auditorium. Okay, the 7th grade's been practicing chapel all week. And this girl came out about your age, and she would sing her song, and it went something like, He spoke the words, and all the stars came into order. She's been practicing that all week, and she's been practicing in front of 7th graders. So she's got about, I don't know, 20 or 30 people in front of her. On the day of the chapel, she walks out, there's over 200 people there because now we've got all the grades together. Is she like Luther Haig? Yeah, she's extremely what? What do you do when you're nervous? You sometimes do what? You get butterflies. Butterflies can turn to what? She's actually, yeah, she comes out and she looks and you can just see it in her face. I thought, bless her heart, she's never going to make it through this. He spoke the words and all the stars went right there on the stage. I bless her heart. I just thought, how embarrassing is this? You know, go out there and clean up, and then they put that stuff down. It smells worse than the vomit. You know, that, woo! I mean, it's now everybody's getting sick. And she would probably later go home and like, oh, at least I tried. But, oh, it was so scary to be in front of people. I'm not a superhero. But I hope when I get to heaven, God says, you were faithful. Does that make me a hero? Who knows? Maybe you would actually have, well, I'll give you an example. Is this hero? I don't know. I was sort of thinking that. Hmm. I love what Max Lucado writes. He says, if we try to think of the image of a hero, most folks don't fit our image of a hero. But I love these words. Now listen. If you give us four stars, like a four-star general, titles like doctor and all that, and headlines, but something tells me that for every hero in the spotlight, there are dozens of people in the shadows. They don't get the press. They don't draw the crowds. They don't even write books. But listen to these words. But behind every avalanche is a snowflake. Behind every rock slide is a pebble. An atomic explosion begins with just one atom. And a revival can begin with just one message. If you don't believe that, history proves it. John Eglin had never preached a sermon in his life. Never. Never even taught a Sunday school class. Wasn't that he didn't want to. He just never needed to. But then one morning he did need to. The snow left his town of Colchester, England, buried in white. When he awoke on that January Sunday, 1850, he thought of staying home. I mean, after all, who's going to get out in this snow? Who would go to church in such weather as this with such deep snow? I think I'll just stay home. But then he reconsidered, and he, after all, a deacon should be there. I mean, if anybody's going to be there, at least the deacon should show up. And if the deacons didn't go, who would go? Who could we expect to go if the leaders didn't even show up? So he put on his boots, put on his hat and coat, walked the six miles to the Methodist church there in Colchester, England. He wasn't the only member who considered staying home. In fact, he was one of the few at Cain. Only 13 people were present that cold Sunday morning. Twelve members and one visitor. Even the minister was snowed in, and the minister wasn't even there. So someone suggested after they had got there, they thought, why don't we just go home? Eglin would hear nothing of that. <laughs> they had come this far. He had walked six miles. Somebody was going to preach a message. He just had no idea it would be him. They're going to have a service. And besides, after all, they had one visitor. A 13-year-old boy. Anybody 13? So I guess I'm preaching to you. 13 years old, he shows up that day. Big deal. So you're sitting there right now thinking, I could be a hero. 
But who would preach? Eglin was the only deacon there that morning, so it fell to him. He was the one who was going to have to speak the message. And so he did. He stood and his sermon lasted only ten minutes. Y'all probably wish I would do that ten minutes. It drifted and wandered and made no point at all. And in an effort to make several points, he made probably, he felt like he made no points. But at the end, an uncharacteristic courage settled upon him to do something. He lifted his eyes and looked straight at the boy that was 13 and he challenged him. Young man, look to Jesus. Look, look, look to Jesus. Did that challenge make a difference? Was the trip worth it in the snow? Well, let that boy, now a man, answer that question. Here's his words. I did look that day to Jesus. And then and there, the cloud on my heart lifted. The darkness rolled away. And at that moment, I saw the sun. That moment, he had asked Jesus to come into his life. That little boy's name was Charles Handon Spurgeon. England's prince of preachers, later to be world famous. Anybody ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? That's that little 13-year-old boy. I guess it was worth having the service. I guess it was worth having that 10-minute message. And John Eglin is suddenly a, probably a preacher that, uh, or a spokesman that was worth his message. Would he be a hero? I mean, how many stories could we say like that? Did Eglin know that he, what he had done? No. Did heroes know when they were heroic? No, rarely. Matter of fact, most of the time you do something and then years later you realize, maybe that was heroic. Maybe I, I did something that I don't even think about doing. I would, I would classify that as a hero. Sometimes we go through our daily routine, we're just being faithful, and all at once what we do would make a huge difference. Can you imagine somebody talking in the North Carolina to a little BBS group? and speaking to people. And the next thing you know, this little boy responds, and this woman who's just been faithful and faithful and faithful just speaks to him, and the next thing you know, he accepts Jesus and grows up to be who we'd call Billy Graham today. You think that woman that was a hero in a VBS? Well, I don't know. Well, a hero is somebody like this. They take courage to do something. It's not always easy to do, but they'll take courage to step out and do something. And then they're just faithful to do it over and over and over. And sometimes they don't think they're making a difference. But then at the end of a lifetime, they'll wow. So a hero is somebody that maybe changes lives, saves lives. Superheroes. The main point of our messages so far has been this. My first message was this. Hopefully you remember it now. Take off your mask. Second thing, second message. Sometimes taking off that mask can cost you friends, reputation, whatever. You might not have what you used. He's like, oh, people are going to make fun of me. Jesus is proud of you. That's all that matters. Third message, know what your weaknesses are. And once you know what your weaknesses are, run away from the weaknesses that are hurting you. If I smoke, drink, cuss, if I'm hanging around, for, every time I get around my friends, I become negative and I talk to then get away from those friends. But they're, on, they're not worth having because they're going to drag you down. But, but that takes courage. You need to run away from sin. And then you say, okay, when I get back, I don't know if I can do a lot of a Bible study. Would you just read a few verses every day? You need to run towards God and run away from the world. So pick whatever you need to run away from and run towards. I hope I made that message last night. And don't be a person who omits the things we should do and commits the things we shouldn't. So after running for a while, if you think you're going to get tired, here's what I want to show you today. Today we're going to talk about everyday heroes. Everyday heroes. Today, everyday heroes. And you say, well, that's just a normal family. Now, I've got a heart that is sensitive sometimes. I'll pray a week. Let me just look at that picture back here. How many people think that's a normal family? Looks normal, right? If you sit there and look at that picture long enough, see, I'm the kind of person that don't think I'm a hero. I'm not. Uh, but if I'm the kind of person today, I could sit down in that chair right over there and just quit talking, and that would be my message and not say another word, and I'd end up weeping and Jesus would speak to me. Why? He's reminded me who that person is, what they've done, what I could do, and suddenly how God needs to comfort people like that and how He's with me. And see, God's doing a message. I mean, I'm not saying a word. And you say, who in the world is that? Well, that's a young man who's about 29 years old, one year younger than my son, and he's got four kids that are all alone now because he's one of the 19 firefighters that died on Sunday. 
the blaze encircled them. They didn't have any idea on how to get out. They would pull out that silver tent and practically cover themselves up. And usually what you do, you cover it up and the fire just goes over you. It didn't go over them. It caught them whether wind shifted. They're not, they still don't know what happened. It killed all 19 of them. Is he a hero? His wife said he loved to go into fire, the fiery conditions, because he knew when he could put it out, he would end up in the long run saving lives. That's a hero. Who is that guy? On July 2nd, 2013, just a few days ago, at about 5 o'clock in the morning, this man left. Here's his story. Before dawn, Julianne Ashcraft kissed her husband goodbye as he left their home to join his wildfire crew, the Granite Mountain Hot Shots. All of them would be about like equivalent of the A-Team or the Green Beret or Rangers. These were the top firefighters. Andrew Ashcraft promised to text her during the day as usual or as always. And so he began texting. His first message came at 5.45 a.m. You know, I count both of them are heroes right now. He's texting her to let her, know, let her know he loves her. She's up before 6 just to get his message. Isn't that cool? If my wife says, I'm going to call you at 4.30 in the morning, I just want to tell you I love you. I want to be there to answer the phone. I'd rather sleep in. No, both of them are heroes. This wife sacrificing sleep time. And Andrew, the tall and strapping young man here, was headed to the fire in Yarnell that was threatening home. See, he went to save people's lives by stopping this fire. That's what his goal was. About a half an hour after he left home, he sent a message. What was his message? Well... He asked her how the girls were, how the, the little kids. He had four kids, all of them younger than the age of six. He said, wow, they must be having a baby about every year and a half. They were, and now they have no dad. But Julianne Ashcraft came up the other day. She's got about a one-minute video. I started to put it up here today, but I'll even weep watching her because she just says, I want to be brave because my husband was brave. And I want to tell the world what we as firefighters' wives are going through. And I want to tell you about my husband. And I don't want his memory just as soon fade. I want you to tell her how proud I am and that he was a hero. And she said he wasn't the only one. He was one of 19 heroes. Andrew was one of 19 firefighters who died while battling the Arizona wildfire this past Sunday in an effort to stop this fire before it just wiped out homes. So Andrew's a hero? Yes. So I've got to be a firefighter to be a hero. Now, you can have your choice. You can be different kinds of heroes. A superhero is an everyday hero. Andrew did not join the firefighters and think, I'm going to die one day in a fire, and that way everybody will know I'm a hero. He didn't do that. He went to work every day. It would just be a job as a fireman. He had no idea that this was what would happen. Did he live a dangerous life? Absolutely. But that's what he wanted to do. An everyday hero is this. Although they would never call themselves superheroes, everyday heroes are individuals that just go quietly go about helping, saving, changing lives, expecting nothing in return, just wanting to help make a difference. And God uses these everyday heroes to change us. I can think of people that are everyday heroes in my own life. But how about you? You want to be a hero? So, okay, can you give me some in the Bible? And I'm not going to talk about this hero. You say, I'll never be David. I'll never be. Let me give you some people you can be. Super everyday heroes. We're going to turn to the book of Colossians because that's where this sign is from. Colossae was the name of the town. It's in the New Testament. It's an easy way to find it. General Electric Power Company. I remember it that way. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. General Electric Power Company. That's just my way of remembering it. Turn to the book called Colossians. And in this book called Colossians, the Apostle Paul is going to speak to some people. And Apostle Paul speaks... And you say, oh, I can't be Apostle Paul. He's a hero. I'm not talking about the Apostle Paul. He mentions ten people in the fourth chapter of Colossians. And if you've heard of any of these people, I would be surprised. But I would call them heroes. Why? Because they're everyday heroes. Here's what he talks about in Colossians chapter 5. Colossians chapter, oh, Colossians chapter 4. Excuse me. Colossians chapter 4. I mean, we could read this whole thing, Colossians chapter 4. Start with verse 2. Further instructions. Paul's going to die soon, and if he could stand before you, he'd probably give you a charge like this. He'd say, devote yourselves to prayer. Some of you, I don't pray enough. Just bow your head, and you could just pray assembly. It's like conversations talking to God. I don't take for granted that I can pray. I have people in my own church that say, should we call him Jesus, God, Lord, 
uh, what do we need to do? We say, God, what do I even call him? What would you like to? Well, he's Jesus to me. He's my friend. So why don't you just say, Jesus, my friend, I need to talk to you today. And I know I'm not very eloquent, and I know I don't know all the right, but I'll just tell you what's on my heart. That's all he cares about. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. And pray for us, Paul says. Paul's in jail right now. He says, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Woo. You say, okay, make that practical. Next Sunday at church, you're going to have a visitor and they're going to walk in. Would you be wise in the way you act toward the outsiders? That visitor might very well say, I'm hurting and I'm here for a reason. They don't tell you that. Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let the, your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So let's just start off. Can I be an everyday hero next Sunday? If a visitor comes in and starts speaking to me, and I'll just welcome them, or maybe they might not even speak. At Andy, Andy Stanley's church, it's located in North Point, Georgia, Apparatus, Georgia. Uh, he said they've got a group, be about like a Dave Grace. Dave, they've got about 10 Dave Graces down there, and they just stand in the back of the church, and they're waiting for people. When would a visitor who doesn't want to be there come in? When do you think they would come in? Late. So he's got Dave Grace's sitting in the back of the church, standing there, waiting on the people that come in. I don't want to be here. My wife, she's already here. Just so happened they did this one Sunday. This guy, his wife said, Would you come to church? No. Would you come? Well, I just think when it, so she started going to church. And she started liking it. And she says, Well, would you go? I don't want to go. So the wife and the kids would go. And finally they the little girls started liking it, so they came back and said, Daddy, would you go to church with us? I don't want to go to church. I tell you what, I'll go, but y'all drive in your car and I'll come afterwards because I want to, if I don't like it, I'm leaving. Let's just drive separately because I don't want to be stuck there because I know I'm going to hate it. So the wife comes in and the girls come in and they sit and sure enough, her husband comes in. I think his name was Randy. comes in at the last. I'm going to sneak in, set where? On the back row and leave. So he sneaks in, and the Dave Grace of the crowd doesn't let him. Oh, Randy, hey, how's it going? God bless you, brother. Come right on down. We've got a special group, and they've got about two rows right in the front where the visitors who come in at the last don't want to be there get to go. And they just, and Randy's like, oh, brother. And they set him on about the second row so he can see Andy Stanley full force. You know who are heroes in that? Y'all missed it if you weren't listening. First of all, name me a hero in that story. The Dave Graces that stand at the back that say, we could go down and sit and have a great time, but instead we're waiting. What if nobody shows up? They're still heroes. They're there in case. Who else is a hero? Y'all missed it. Everybody in that church is a hero because where would they rather sit? you got people that show up early at Andy Stanley's church for the what? For the front row, and they won't let them sit there. Everybody, oh, get mad. I'm here four hours early so I can hear Andy, and I want to sit right there. You don't get to sit there. That's being saved for the Randys that come in late. So the whole church is heroes because they give up their first couple rows for the people that are coming in late. That's a hero to me. You've sacrificed so that someone who needs Jesus can come in and hear him right up front rather than you just be convenient so that you like the front row seat. Who else is a hero in that story? Anybody? Yes. The mom's a hero whether the dad's coming or not. She's there. The daughters are heroes and saying, Daddy, would you please come pleading you to do something right? The daughters are heroes. The dad, the mom's a hero. The, the people of the church, Andy Stanley stands in boldly. You know, my church, LifePoint Church, we pride ourselves on being a church that's trying to reach the, the unsaved or unchurched. So our church, I heard somebody said this quote one time, and it's so good. He said, when you get so that you're more interested in reaching people than keeping people, you finally arrived. Let me run that by you again. When my church is more interested in reaching the lost than keeping everybody there. Now, sure, I'd like to keep people there. Don't get me wrong. But you, do you hear what I'm saying? I want to go reach people, not just keep the people. And most churches are like that. They want to keep who they got. 
So we close the doors, us four no more, close the doors, and we all get together every Sunday at the First Baptist United Nazarene Church of the Episcopal Holy Spirit and sit right there, and it's like, let's go reach business. No. And somebody bold says, raises their hand and says, I would like to go plant a church. No, don't you do that. I need you here. And don't you think about leaving it. We just need us four right here. Why don't we go reach? But no, can't do that. So we're just all concerned about us. So if I had you in a circle, we won't do that. But if I had you in a circle and we joined hands, go ahead, and we go like this, well, that's the wrong way to look. Here's what we need to do as a church. We turn this way and join hands, and now we're looking outward. So we're all together in the circle, but we're all looking outward to try to reach others. Picture the Titanic, great ship that went down there in April. But just think, if we're in the waters, and if I'm in the life, I'm in the water, and somebody comes over and grabs me and pulls me in, and I go, oh, "Thank you." What's the first thing I should do? Get in the boat, cover up the blanket, and like, no. As soon as I get in the boat, I'm reaching out there for others. Come on, let me help you. I'm pulling you out. Now both of us keep reaching. Now we're just saving people. We don't turn and go. Now is everybody in the boat okay? Y'all need a sandwich? I don't care about you. You're in the boat. Don't you care about the people of the church? You're missing it again. Sure, I love the people at my church, but they're not my main concern. If this firefighter that we were talking about a minute ago wants to go into the house and grab you and bring you out and he saves you, he's going back into that fiery furnace again. So we've got to look out. Apostle Paul's going to give you ten heroes that I think look out. How do they do that? Look in Colossians chapter 4. He's finally getting to the hero list. Now, you ready? This first weird name, I'm not going to name all ten. You'd say I'd go to sleep. Some of you, I think, are. So I'm just going to wake you up with the first two. Chapter 4, verse 7. Weird name here was Tychicus. You say, that's an odd name. Is your name in the Bible? Anybody's name in the Bible? See there? So be thankful. You and Tychicus got something in common. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Stop right there. Two verses. Tychicus is sort of like the messenger for Paul. Paul says, can I entrust you with a message? Go tell everybody that I'm fine. And Tychicus, who is, I love this, he's a dear brother. He's faithful He's a fellow servant in the Lord. Let me read this again. If we say, welcome to the hero banquet. Three of you just woke up. Welcome to the hero banquet. Oh, we're going to have the four-star general and the guy from Vietnam with two limbs gone and he saved nine No, we're just talking about our first messenger is Tychicus. And people would go, who? I thought it was King David who kills giants. I thought it was Jonah who's... Going into Nineveh, I thought it, no, it's a man named Tychicus. So here he comes up, and we've got the plaque right here, Tychicus. Hope they spelled his name right. Tychicus, come on up, and he's probably humble and goes, you must have the wrong name. No, Tychicus, we'd like to read some of your attributes. You are a dear brother. They all hug him, tears running down their face. They just love this man. He is a dear brother. He's faithful. He's a faithful minister. He's a fellow servant. So let's see, he's a dear brother. He's a minister. He's faithful. He's a servant. Wow. You saw a big deal. I would love to have about a hundred of those Tychicuses in Life Point Church back home. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances. He's going to come tell you all about us. So he's sort of like a go-between. He goes to the jail ministry to visit Paul talks to him, gets him encouraged, goes back to the church. He's not sitting at home watching MTV or doing 14 other things. He thinks Paul's enough important to go see him. Make a parallel with me. I should find you much important in my church to come visit you. And then I go back and say, hey, Grandma's doing well. Here's what, and I just give stories. Gosh, I guess I could go sit with my grandma. You'll be a hero if you do. You'll be used. I'm sending him for express purposes that you may know about our circumstances and he may be encouragement to your hearts. Verse 9, don't forget this man. I'm just going to get these two. He is coming with a man named Onesimus, our faithful, there it is again, and dear brother, there it is again, who is one of you. I love that. 
He's not somebody from uh, 14 miles away. He's not somebody from the other state. He is one of you. He's one of your own. He's faithful. He's a dear brother who is one of you. And they will tell you everything that is happening here. I just want to grab those two people and show you something. Look at the very first one. Tychicus has a job to do. He was to deliver news about Paul as well as Paul's letter to the people of Colossae. The results would be the encouragement of the Christian hearts. He's going to minister to Paul. He's going to minister to the people. He's back and forth. He is a messenger. That's a hero. It is to me. If he didn't do it, they might, they're going to worry about Paul. Or Paul might not get encouraged himself. Paul's in a jail. He feels like he's forgotten sometimes. Find someone at your school that's eating lunch by themselves that they feel forgotten and go sit and talk with them. You'll suddenly be a hero in God's eyes. Onesimus. Who in the world is Onesimus? Can I tell you the quick story of Onesimus? You don't have to turn to it, but there's a uh, short book in the Bible called Philemon. And Philemon is a landowner. He's wealthy. He owns a slave, and the slave's name is Onesimus. And Onesimus just gets tired of Philemon and takes off, runs away. He meets this man called the Apostle Paul in his life, and Paul begins to tell him about God. Onesimus accepts Jesus as Savior, and he, he becomes saved. So now Paul says, Onesimus, I know you don't want to do this, but you need to go back to Philemon and tell him you're sorry you ran away because that's really what your job is, is to be there. And I'll take care of things. I'll guarantee you, and this is like, I can't go back and ask Philemon to help me back, let me back into the household. That would be like you messing up, and I'll say, you need to go ask forgiveness to your mom. You yelled at her just now in a disrespectful way. I'm not going to say she's mad. Wait, wait. You need to go say you're sorry. <laughs> no, don't just go, I'm sorry. Go in there and mean it. So she prays, gets peace in her heart, goes up, Mom, I'm sorry I ripped your head off a minute ago. I'm just so aggravated. That's okay. Now we're back at peace. Onesimus, you need to go ask forgiveness. He walks up to Philemon. By the way, he has a letter in his hand from Paul. And Onesimus, when he first shows up, says, Philemon, I'm here to ask forgiveness. And Philemon probably says, yeah, I'm going to beat you for running away. What's that in your hand? It's a letter. Apostle Paul wanted me to give it to you. Apostle Paul flipped. Philemon flips open the letter. Dear Philemon. I just wanted you to, and that's the letter of Philemon. You ought to read it. And basically he in there says, would you forgive Onesimus because I've now led him to Jesus. And since you're a believer, don't you want to encourage him and you need to take him on back home. Folds the letter back up. Onesimus, I guess you're going to whip me. Philemon says, no, I'm welcome home. Apostle Paul just wrote me a letter. I can't, I can't whip you. God bless you. It's good to have you home. Now he gives him a hug. So this is the same Onesimus. What's he do? Onesimus was a runaway slave. His name meant to be useful. He was not useful when he ran away. Some of y'all are sort of running away from God when you need to run towards Remember what we said last night, and you're not being very useful. If Jesus came in and said, I need to find somebody. Uh, no, that's right. You're so distracted by the world. I can't use you. Wouldn't that be sad? We wouldn't be very useful. Onesimus was a runaway slave. His name meant useful. But he had proven to be useless to his master, Philemon. Yet Paul commended him as faithful. Now he's living up to his name. He's faithful and a dearly beloved, dearly loved brother. He's added, he is one of you. He's now active in church. He's now sharing his faith. He's in there. This is great for a guy that didn't want anything to do with anybody. Early in his life, Onesimus hadn't lived up to his name. The gospel changed all that, and it changes us too. There is no way we can live up to the name Christian apart from the soul-sanctifying work of the gospel. The good news that takes useless sinners and turns us into useful co-laborers in God's kingdom. Dave, Dave loves this verse. What's Ephesians 9, 27 say? Or? What is it, Dave? Oh, yeah, that's Ephesians 4.32, yeah. Be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So God can forgive you, but you don't want to. Well, how can I get forgiveness anyway? Now give me your favorite verse out of Hebrews. Which, Jesus has died on the cross, paid for my sins, so therefore He's forgiven me, so I need to turn around and forgive you. You realize every time I forgive someone, I'm, I'm being like Jesus? Don't you want to be like Jesus? Be an imitator. So Hebrews 9.22. Okay, getting close. Watch this. I know it's, it's morning chapel, but I'm going to hit you with something that I think is cool. Super everyday heroes. I'm going to give the last guy because I think, again, this is your age right here. Okay, I'm not Tychicus. I'm not that weird sounding name. He's a beloved brother. 
I'm not Onesimus. He's that runaway slave. Well, how about this? Can you be a little boy? I'm not asking you girls, I don't guess, right now. Uh, if I paraphrase this, can you be a little... Yeah, you are. You're in this story. If you think you cannot do anything, all the excuses go out the window right here. Here's Jesus, and he's about to feed the 5,000, and he's got three disciples' reactions. Three disciples want to react this way. Here's the story. Let's read this story about a little boy. It's found in John chapter 6, if you'd turn there. John chapter 6, verses 5 through 13. The story, I'll encourage your heart here. It's a story I'm about to close with. Oh, really? You're close to finishing? I don't know. It's not just for me, but I hope you never get tired of the Bible. He said, but I'm tired. Well, I know. It's okay. But at least wake up and hear this story because you're in it. Luke chapter, I mean, John chapter 6, verse 5, verse 5 says this. When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, here's the first response, he said this to test him now, where should we buy enough bread for these people to eat? Look at verse 6, very important. He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Did Philip pass the test? No. Here's Philip's answer. Jesus already knew the answer. He just tests us. He tests Philip right here. How should we buy bread for all these people? Philip's answer. Well, eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough. Here's See Philip right there? There he is. Hands open. Eight months' wages wouldn't buy enough bread for each of us to have a bite. Eight months' wages. Let's just take that. Let's say you make $5 an hour. I'm just pretending quick math. Eight months, let's make it about $5 an hour. You make $40 a day. It's about $200. Eight months. Oh, that's about $10,400 in airtime. So roughly, uh, feed these people. If Jesus was around today, Philip, how are we going to feed these guys? If we had $10,000, we couldn't feed these people. What great faith. And you're one of the disciples. Next response. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, Well, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but, but how far is that going to go among so many? So again, not exactly the greatest of faith. Who had the most faith? He's coming up right here in the story. The little boy whose verse is not even mentioned, he gives his lunch to Jesus. Can anyone in the room, anyone in the room, picture Jesus jerking this boy's lunch out of his hand? I can't either. So that meant the boy go, you can have my lunch if you want to. You're giving up your lunch when your stomach's growling. You're the only one that's actually prepared. You're the only one that actually packed your lunch today at school. And when everybody else didn't bring you brought your lunch. Why don't you eat it, go under the shade tree, and forget about all of us? I can't because I want to be a hero. So I'm going to give all I've got to you. Can you imagine this little boy with eyes just wide open? He looks at Jesus, and Jesus is probably going like this. You're giving up your lunch for me. I want you to have it. You take my lunch. And suddenly Andrew goes. He gave up his lunch. Philip goes. So they back up and Jesus is now going to say, why don't you stay right here with me? And the little boy goes, okay. And he gets to stand beside the master. And Jesus says, let's bless this. And he looks up and says, Father, you know all things. Would you bless this little lunch? And would you multiply it so that we can feed everyone here? And it's in your holy name we ask it. Amen. And they began to hand out food. Here we go. Here we go. Yeah. They just keep handing out. Pretty soon, 5,000. They said that's the men. Could be families, 10 or 20. They are feeding 15,000 people. They fed everyone at a UT football game. Basically, that's about what you're looking. You know, we just keep feeding them. We just keep feeding them. And the lunch is still there. And the little. And Simon Peter's probably going, Andrew's going, Philip's thinking, little boy's going, He's just happy as can be. Take it, lunch. Oh, by the way, here's your lunch back. I just wanted to see if you'd give it to me. And you did. You mean so a hero is someone, but it hurts. Remember the little girl that wore pearls? They were, they were toy pearls. She walked through, went through the aisle one day like at a Walmart or Kmart and saw pearls hanging there and said, Mommy, can I have the pearls? I hate to just give them to you. Would you save up your money? That way you'll appreciate them. Oh, what a great mom. So she comes back in a few weeks and days. She's saying about 99 cents, buys a little pearls. Thank you, Mommy. Puts on the pearls and she wears them around the house. She wears them. When it gets ready to take a bath, she doesn't take the pearls off. She takes the bath but not the pearls. And she just wears them. Mom, I love my pearls. I love them. 
She goes, Sheriff, look at my pearls. Goes to Grandma's house, look at my pearls. Probably turning green now. Look at my pearls. And finally her daddy comes up one night and he tucks her in and he says, Sarah, can I have those pearls? Would you give them to your daddy? Daddy, these are my pearls. Well, you keep them then, but maybe one day you'll be willing to sort of let me have them. Next night, tells the story. Sarah's all smiles, gives him a kiss on the cheek. He says, do you, do you think you could give me up your pearls tonight? Yeah, these are my pearls. Okay, you keep them. Next night comes in, you know what's going to happen. Sarah, I love you. Let's tell you a story, tell you a story. Have a great day? Yeah. I know, Dad. I know you're going to ask for my pearls. And... No, you no, you keep them. I, I... Well, do you want them? I was going to ask you for your pearls. Then I'll give them to you because whatever you want to use them for, you go ahead. And he reaches down in the bag and says, I just wanted those pearls because i got to replace them with these. And he opens it up and it's a set of real pearls worth $100 and puts them around her neck and says, I just wanted you to have the best. Now she hugs him. So we have to give up that small, really almost worthless gift to get the best from Jesus. You understand? Jesus says, can I have that little old, oh, I can't, I can't. We finally give it up, and Jesus says, let me put this around your neck. And he gives us the real deal, not just some 99-cent ones. He gives us the ones that cost thousands. Would you take my lunch? Thank you. And here's what happens. This little boy becomes an everyday hero. First of all, he is he could have been playing. He could have been doing video games like you. He could have been sitting at the house watching TV. He could have been anywhere. He is in a crowd following Jesus. Well, I bet you his parents made him. Then his parents are heroes. But did you ever think of this? God just I've read this story before, but God helps me to see it in a different light. This boy could have been anywhere on the planet, but yet he's in a group following Jesus. Would you have been in this group? No, I'd be asleep at the house. Good. You've missed the master and you've missed the miracle. Don't you just love it when you're at church sometimes? Holy Spirit just whoosh moves in. Nine gets saved. Two go to the mission field. Shekinah glory about shines down. And you go home and your mom, dad, sister, whoever. Did I miss anything at church? No, just God showed up. It's okay. At least you slept in and watched the Dallas Cowboys play. But you know, God showed up. But at least you had a... You don't do that out of respect. But you almost feel like, yeah, it happened. God's there. I get students that ask me that all the time. I walk in the day after they're gone. Mr. Moses, did I miss anything yesterday? No, we all just sit around waiting on you to show up again. Yeah, you missed something. Of course you missed something. Jesus, did I miss anything? Oh, you missed it all. Can you imagine the disciples talking to somebody the next day? This little boy showed up. He gave a lunch. Jesus started blessing. We fed about 3,000. Wow! Yeah, you missed it. This little boy's where he should be. He's in a crowd of thousands seeking Jesus. Second thing, he did this. He's where he should be. He hears of a need and goes, well, that's not my problem. Just for a second, if he went like it, you know, excuse me, skip, skip. That's what the little boy did. Just think if he goes, There's, and he fights his way through the crowd. And, what do you want, little boy? I'm here to see Jesus. So's everybody. Get in line. No, I mean, I really need to see him. I, he crawls over top of everybody. You got a few people in the crowd. You know, smoky. You know, no, they, they don't even care. They're just there because they're made to. But this little boy's got a different attitude. He wipes his way and goes all the way through the crowd. The next thing you know, he comes up behind him. Wow, there he, there's Jesus. Disciples, hold it. You know, Simon Peter, I can just imagine, pulls out his sword. Ha! Whack! Whacks the little boy's ear off. No. Simon Peter, put the sword up. Maybe you have to kill everybody. Andrew comes up. Hey, Simon Peter, out! Would you quit? Thanks, Jesus. Simon Peter. Imagine Simon Peter fixing something at the breakfast table in the middle of the night. Little kids come in. Dad, I... Dad, would you put the knife up? You're scaring us. Simon Peter's just an explosion like a stick of dynamite ready to go off. So the little boy comes up. What are you here for? I'm here to see Jesus. Oh, then we'll usher you into his presence. And he comes up, Jesus, I don't want to bother you. You're no bother to me. But I got a little boy here. It's something about some lunches. Thinks you might need him. Simon Peter's expecting this thing. I don't need that little boy. We need to feed these. He's exactly who I'm looking for. 
I'm who you're looking for. You right now are who Jesus is looking for. I don't have a lunch. It doesn't matter. You're who He's looking for. He can use you the same as He did this little boy. How's He going to use me? Well, that I can't answer. I can't tell you everything. Maybe He'll use you to keep going to Sunday school so your dad will soon get convicted and says, maybe I need to go. Maybe He'll use you at school because your friends will go, maybe there is something to this Christianity. You have really changed. It's been months and you still are doing the same faithful thing. And this little boy gives his lunch up. And he's just excited. And he watches Jesus bless it. So here's, he hears of a need, number three. He wants to do something about it. He's not one of them set-back kind of people. Number four, he steps out in faith and gives what he has to the Master. He does not just sit there. He does something. I cannot... Now, you correct me. Please do it after the service instead of now. But you correct me if you think this story happened any different. Do you really think the disciples going, Hey, grab that boy. Here's some lunch. Ah! You know, the boy's running with his bag. <laughs> Andrew tackles him. Peter, no, not the sword. Put it up. I got him. No! Jesus, here's my lunch. It's out of my arm. I think it's out of the... No, he did. They didn't run this boy down. They didn't chase him. They didn't knock him to the ground and take his lunch. Simon Peter, get down on the lunch! No, he didn't. They walked through the crowd and go, how can we solve this problem? Don't bother me, little boy. But, but I, I heard about the need and, and, and I've got this. You really want to give that up? Yeah, because everybody else, and the boy didn't say this, but can you just imagine, everybody else is just sitting around going, wondering what to do, what to do, what to do, and, and I want to do something because if I do this, I might literally save some people in this crowd. Save them how? Well, I'll keep their stomach from growling. Some of them might be the first meal they've had because they're probably far away from home. They can't be sent home. I want to help be used by the Master. I do not want to just sit here. I realize something's got to be done. And I want to do it. I start off with the story of someone who led Charles Hannon Spurgeon to the Lord. I want to show you another real life story right here. Here's what I would like, the story of a hero. This boy is just, he's a little bit older than probably 12. But he sees a need. He does an extremely courageous thing. And he saves the lives of everybody around him. Now, did that little boy actually save lives? I don't know that anybody was starving to death that day, but I know the little boy made a huge difference and he was used by the Master. You want to see the story of how one person is used by God to save others? This person is definitely a hero. I didn't ever hear of his name until a few weeks ago, so he's an unsung hero. He's an everyday hero. Let's check his story out. Prep the signal flares. Let the cavalry know where we're at. Yes, sir. My lucky stick. Down payment. Right, let's see how lucky this stick is. 
How old is this stuff? It's a few weeks. Why does it taste salty? I can barely chew it. Hey, Red. Heck, I almost forgot. Come here. <laughs> 18 missions, Gene. You can't argue with tradition, buddy. Come on. I'm going to buy you rabbit's foot. Better make it count, pal. <laughs> station, station, station. Zeros, down low. Boys, we stirred up the doggone hornet's nest with that flash bomb. They're coming back around. Let them rip. Woo! I love those Japanese zeros. They always bring a target to the range, boys. <laughs> You know that. I have to go because it's my duty. We have to be ready in case someone attacks us. So until I get back, I need you to be real brave for me. Can you do that? That little boy is grown up. He's else. the one on the plane. He's about to be brave. Like I get scared too sometimes. But you know what? Sometimes men have to do things they're afraid to do. Being brave doesn't mean you never get scared. It means that even when you are scared, you step up. You do the things that men have to do.
You can choose to do that, Jesus. Choose to be brave. We're gonna make it. Make it count. Make it count. Roger that, Red. Roger that. final comparison. It wasn't a red-hot sulfur missile. It was a red-hot hell. And Jesus, in essence, got out of the comfort zone called heaven, went over and basically grabs that red-hot hell and gets rid of it, disposes it, and it cost him his life to do that because he has defeated death, hell, and the grave. So Jesus is as brave as that. He's more brave. And then I have a feeling as he's lying dying, he would look up and say, is, is everybody all right? And the Father would say, if they trust in what you've just done, yes, they're all right. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, today I'm reminded that you took on a fiery hell for us. And if we don't accept you, that's where we have to go. You didn't create hell for us. You created hell for the devil and his angels. But Lord, if we have a choice of what you do. You let us choose. And some people will reject you and therefore uh, receive hell. Jesus, that's a scary thought and it's something that we don't like to think about. But Lord, heaven and hell is a choice. You've paved the way to heaven. You've taken care of that fiery hell for us. But yet, Lord, some people will choose to reject you. I pray that today, Jesus, that everybody under the sound of my voice will see that they don't have to choose that. They can choose you. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everyone has turned into his own way. There's none righteous, no, not one. All we like sheep have gone astray. But then the Bible reminds us that and while we were yet sinners, you still 
died for us. Scarcely would a man die for a righteous person, but you died for us while they were filthy sinners. So Jesus, now you wait for us to respond and saying, I've already taken care of the fiery hell for you. Would you receive me? For the Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. So Jesus, today you offer this free gift. And we can come to you and say, Jesus, I don't want a fiery hell in my future. I want a golden heaven where we'll walk on streets of gold, where people think precious here we'll walk on in heaven. Jesus, thanks for paying that ultimate price. You took care of that fiery hell and got it away from me. You paid the price for me. So, Jesus, I accept that free payment for my sins. Would you forgive me of all my sins, cleanse my heart, come into my life and save me? I know that you paid that price. I now receive you into my heart. And so, Jesus, now we wait. I wait. We pray for those under the sound of my voice to consider what we've just said. Jesus, I know it's morning and I know it's early for some and I know people are tired, but, Lord, heaven can hang in the balance. We've just had a, a story of a hero from a firefighter to a soldier, from Onesimus to Tychicus to everyday heroes, unsung heroes. But, Jesus, you're the ultimate hero. You died for us all. No greater love than this than a man die for his friends. Jesus, you died for us. May that not be in vain. So, Lord, would you just speak to hearts and would someone say, I need you, Jesus. It's that simple. I need you. Thanks for dying for me, paying the price for me. I know I need a change in my life that no one else can give me but you. So, Jesus, in faith, I ask you to be my Savior. And that's as simple as we can make it. If someone here needs you, Jesus, I pray that you just speak to their heart. In Jesus' name, amen.